what's up and welcome back to Nostalgia Pod, giving you your weekly look what's been on pop culture. My name is Pat Sheehan, joined as always by the trusted co-host Dave Martin Swagger. Dave, how you doing, man? Call me Ronco Henry. Let's ride. Uh, I, I have I have some questions about Bronco Henry, how much of a, a real man he was. I heard a lot about it, though. We're looking forward to talking about the power of the dog. The uh, It seems like sure sure to be awards, uh, at least contender, this upcoming awards movie, movie awards season, I should say. But uh, we're going to be talking about, you know, uh, at least a couple of music projects. I'm talking about some TV slash movie slash however you want to characterize the Beatles get back as well as some some things that Dave got to that I did not get to this week so if you want to hear it all and get it all immediately hit that subscribe button on youtube.com slash nostalgia pod go to soundcloud.com slash nostalgia pod and uh, you can follow the podcast any other way you want as well as on twitter at nostalgia pod but Dave we start with someone that we've been anticipating uh hearing more from Tierra Wack who uh, I think has been <laughs> probably the person we've wanted, uh, an artist we've wanted to hear more from for the last going on three years now after Whack World. Uh, you know, I, I guess I'll label it an uh, experimental rap album just because of the structure of it. Not And obviously, Tira Whack, I think, has gained a reputation for being an out-of-the-box rapper, not, not traditional in many senses. Uh, but since then, we've only gotten... You know, a few singles, a few features here and there, but no real projects until Rap came out this past week. Uh, three song EP. And I don't know how I feel about this. It will, I, mean, I guess like what was just like your initial response, seeing that the EP dropped, listening to it and where are you at now with it? Yeah, I should note the... Uh... Whack World, Tierra Wax Whack World actually was 2018, so it's getting closer to four years since that came out. Damn. But she's been loosely, I guess, feeding the streets with a number of freestyles and one-off singles since then. And this rap EP kind of reminded me of a lot of those songs. You know, nothing catches your eye the way the construction of Whack World did. And when I finished the rap EP, I was like, all right, that, that's okay. Nice to see that she packaged something up as an official release again. But still kind of leaves me wanting more. Then real, realizing later today, she announced a forthcoming EP called Pop, question mark, as a companion piece. Who knows if there's more to come as well. But clearly there's some intentionality behind a lot of this that we didn't quite get as much with those other loose songs, right? I feel like if anything, like apart from that one loose song, Only Child, which I do like quite a bit, the biggest rap moment for her, I think recently was that feature on Little Boat 3, Lil Yachty's song Mm. uh, on her song with, uh, I believe that was what, song with Rocky and Tyler, I think that was a kind of, I don't know where she's had some cool features, but yeah, I mean, these three songs, I think they're they're fine. I think if you run through the track listing, they get kind of get better as you go. These three songs, Stand Up, Megan Good, and Millions. I think I like Millions the most. Yeah, but I do too. It, it's, you know, it's it's just, just some music from her, to be honest. Yeah, you know, when you think about Whack World, 
what she was rapping about, the way she was going about it, the the concept just is so unique and out there. And I think hearing something that is more more traditional, these songs are not just a minute long. They're, you know, two, two minutes, 30 seconds, about three minutes each. Um, and nothing really popped off to me about these that said like, wow, this is a special track from Tierra Whack. And I think maybe in some ways our expectations of her being uh, someone who's like so disarming and outside the box make us grade her on a different curve than other people because mm. our, we're looking for her to do things that we haven't heard or that kind of subvert our expectations all the time. I, I don't think the tracks are necessarily bad, but they also didn't really have anything that made me say like, oh, I'm going to go back and play millions again. You right. know, um, I do think some of the production looks, uh, sounds cool. Like the, the percussion on uh, stand up right from the beginning is like, kind of distorted and sounds really awesome i thought i thought the rapping on megan good probably was maybe some of my favorite millions i think sounded the best just as a as a whole but you know overall just uh wanted a little bit more i'm glad we're gonna get more of this upcoming week but <laughs> where do you like see her like fitting in in like the rap world right now yeah, I mean, she's still signed the Interscope. This is an Interscope release. And in the interim, alongside all these loose songs and occasional guest spots, she's had some unique partnerships with, I believe, uh, Adult Swim and Adobe and stuff. So she's definitely doing what she wants to do and is not feeling that pressure that a lot of modern artists, especially modern rap artists, feel to release very frequently. So that's all good. You can def you definitely hope that that that's on purpose, right? So I like to see where the rest of this rollout goes. Perhaps there's something beyond the pop EP. Remember uh, Kevin Abstract's Arizona Baby rollout started off as a series of EPs. The next thing you know, it's a solo album from him. You know, maybe that's where we're headed. Uh, but yeah, I mean, she's she's not super active. So it's weird to kind of place her, right? You know, she clearly has a lot of respect from her Philly peers, and especially Meek Mill, who had a large part in her coming up. But, and I guess that that feature with Yachty, and and also the feature with Willow Smith recently, like that counts for something, I guess. But yeah, she's definitely keeping her her cards close to her vest, which is unique for a lot of rappers, especially ones that we are consider ascendant. So. Yeah, TV, a lot of TBD, I guess. It's funny because I, I, I'd like to like almost say like she's outside the box, but she's really just creating her own box. It seems like she's creating her own lane and doing just whatever feels right for her unique interests. So definitely looking forward to hearing more. We'll be talking about pop next week. Why don't we move forward though to DJ? No, just Colin. <laughs> Khaled is, a, I think, an interesting artist to me, right? Because I, I, I think the appeal to him is solid vocals, brings like a very like uh, warm, comforting, silky vibe to his songs. And it's fairly upbeat, too. You know, uh, an artist that obviously has popped off with some huge, huge hits. Uh, Talk with Disclosure, I think, is the one probably everyone in the world knows um it the, I, I believe it has like hundreds of thousands of streams on spotify i'm pretty sure um mm -hmm. 
he's he's got like songs that have billions of streams it's, it's mm-hmm. nuts he's obviously a huge artist i think for me when i think about him <laughs> and especially as we talk about uh we, we talked about what american teen or was it uh, no, we free spirit about the second album free spirit yeah talk about free spirit I, I think about him as being an artist that was kind of doing what we saw a lot of artists doing where they just pull out these long projects some songs hit, song, some songs don't, but nothing really popped off from Free Spirit that really blew me away. Apart and, from Talk. Right, of course, Talk being the, the standout. Um, we get the scenic drive, a lot shorter, um, a lot more focused. Was it better? Dave, did you like scenic drive more? No, not really. <laughs> yeah. uh, but I actually don't think this is that off-brand for Khalid. If you remember, before Free Spirit came out in spring 2019, he also released his Sun City EP in fall 2018. This scenic drive uh, tape, as he's calling it, seems to be the prelude for his full-length third album coming in 2022, which seems to be titled Everything is Changing. So this is an interstitial project anyway, so you shouldn't have high expectations for it, but it doesn't really sound any different from how Khalid has sounded to this point. And on one hand, that'll lend himself to continued success because he's been very successful at doing what he's doing. However, I have still not been impressed with that. Talk, talk is really great because that's produced by Disclosure. Yeah. And Khalid, as a guest, in that case, kind of a guest on Disclosure's production, Khalid, as a guest, I like a lot more, you know, when he's a featured artist. But on his own song, especially when it's just him, I'm just not wowed by the vocals. And I just think the music is really sanitized and safe. And it's not that it's offensive, but it doesn't really blow you away when you compare it to other kinds of R&B music or pop music. So again, he'll find some more success with this, I'm sure. He's got six Grammy nominations to this point. He's still very young in his early 20s, but... Uh, this doesn't change my perception of him. Yeah. Khalid just, uh, on the one hand, he's the type of artist that is so successful. The question really should be, why change anything? You know, like you you can keep cashing those checks, keep, uh, you know, cashing in. Absolutely. On the other hand, uh, when you when you see someone like him, I think he has a really strong voice, um, especially in a song like Talk, where he gets I, I hear him using a little bit more range. I feel like um, you can really hear some of that that potential. And then it's just kind of like, well, I don't really want to go out that far outside the box. What I'm doing works for me. And that, that just feels a bit disappointing from what I think I, I look for from artists. Um, but I also think if he's making something that is obviously speaking to a lot of people, like we said, he has songs that have billions of streams on Spotify. That's quite the accomplishment. Um, I don't know what, what the driver would be for him to change it up. I agree with you, your take. I, nothing on this really uh, changed my opinion of, of him much that kind of just a down the middle R and B uh, singer and you know, he had, he had some features on here that I thought were interesting. I saw on the track list. I mean, the Alicia Keys one is 
Alicia Keys talking um, for like like 20 seconds. So like, sure. <laughs> but, um, you know, like I thought uh, J.I.D. Um, I liked his feature as just like a change up. Um, I guess Ari Lennox is always kind of nice to hear. I don't know. No, nothing really stood out that much to me on this. Did any, any tracks catch you or stand out? It's a, yeah, I mean, again, I'd say not that I liked it too much, but like my favorite songs, the songs I think are the mo- the best would be two tracks towards the beginning. Backseat, I really enjoy it as a solo Khalid's song. And then Retrograde featuring Black and Lucky Day. I really like the production on Retrograde. Drums, guitar, nice mix there. Although it is funny to hear Khalid followed up by Black, someone else I'm not super impressed with vocally or creatively. Alas, I think this song actually works works pretty well. But yeah, I mean, it, I'm, I I just don't see a lot of ambition with the music to this point. And like American Teen, which again propelled it to blow up with location and Young Dumb and Broke and all that, like even that stuff, which became so so popular. I think like the lyrics clearly resonated with his peers, with Gen Z, but like never was impressed with those songs, you know, and Dizzy, like with his third album, I, I guess we're just kind of get more of the same because kind of since then, you know, he's, he's kind of just been a, been a pop guy, right? He's done a lot of these features, right? Like the Normani song, right? Like he's, He's he's playing the industry game. He's just being being that dude, the Benny Blanco Halsey track, right? He's got a lot of these singles, right? But creatively, I just say I I have yet to see it. And Talk was nominated for Record of the Year. Again, I give Disclosure a lot of credit for that. I'm sure he'll catch some awards buzz again because clearly he has a lot of people's ear, but he doesn't really have mine. Yeah. Uh, I think uh, out of all the tracks, probably the one that I liked the most was Scenic Drive with Ari Lennox and Smino. Just mm-hmm. hearing it go from his like, it's not even really gravelly, but more so like toned down, almost like lurching out of his mouth kind of singing style to like Ari Lennox being so like crisp and clear. Then back to like Smino, who's kind of like, has like a bit of a like mumble to him uh, yeah, at times. Measles. Yeah. And then, but then also having him and Ari, um, you know, harmonizing around the chorus i thought was interesting and sounded nice so i don't know if it's necessarily bad tracks just like not interesting and um yeah i think there's probably better things ahead for him or hopefully but yeah you know uh khalid well check out our nostalgia best of 2021 on spotify we'll be uh probably throwing a track on there from tierra whack and maybe maybe khalid but uh dave you you knew the assignment i uh i didn't know the assignment (laughs) i forgot to watch landscapers which i'm actually really bummed about because i was looking forward all weekend to getting some olivia coleman david thewlis on my television and uh i just i just forgot i got caught up watching the patriots spank the bills last night so uh anyways give me a just give me your a quick recap and and your thoughts around the, the first episode of landscapers. Yeah. So landscapers is a HBO British co-production with sky four episode mini series premiering on HBO in the States on Monday nights and stars, as you mentioned, Olivia Coleman and David Thewlis, and they play a real life couple from England who 
uh, committed a crime. And this is kind of a true crime dramatization type miniseries. Uh, and, you know, you have two central lead performers in Thulis and Coleman that we like quite a bit, especially Coleman, who's just on an incredible acting run, which by all indications is continuing with uh, The Lost Daughter, Maggie Gyllenhaal's film, which is coming out uh, at the end of this month. So Olivia Coleman in anything requires viewing and Landscapers, you know, it, it has a, a bit of a comedic element to it, but ultimately I, I think of it a lot the way, if you recall, we watched the show on AMC called Quiz. Remember that four episode miniseries about a who wants to be a millionaire for famous yep. fraud again mm-hmm. in England. Very similar thing where there's a dramatic event from real life dramatized in a series, but not not super long series. But at the end of the day, there's not like a ton of meat on that bone in terms of the crime that it might probably it'll probably fizzle out over four hours. I yeah. think that's where Landscapers is heading because ultimately it's a simple crime. They murdered Coleman's characters, parents, and buried them in the back garden and then pretend that they were still alive and collected their vengeance. However, by the conclusion of episode one, uh, the crime has been discovered due to uh, Thulis' character mentioning it to his stepmom, and they turn themselves over to the police. So effectively, we've progressed through so much plot already that I don't know if the subsequent three hours are going to show us too much more. Um, you know, a big part of this episode, you have uh, Coleman's character kind of daydreaming in the sense about a uh, famous actor, Gary Cooper, who she likes to buy a uh, film memorabilia early on in the film. And like, there's these like black and white, like dream sequences or daydreams in a sense um, that, that seem to interstitch with our scenes here. And I don't know if it really announced to enough through one episode. It, it just felt like a little bit of padding where I, I just don't know if there was quite, there's quite enough there for a four episode series. And again, four episodes doesn't sound like a lot, but it's, it's kind of an A to B thing. And we got a little bit of this um, in the first episode and the review suggests this is going to continue where we see, um, fourth wall breaking similar to how scenes of from a marriage would show us the sets before the episode technically started right we'd watch Chastain and Oscar Isaac walk to the set around people in masks that are the crew in real life right we get a little bit of that again with landscapers and again I don't really understand the choice but I'm beyond beyond the padding so I mean if you're interested in the story if you want to see these performers go ahead at least watch the first episode but I don't think it's going to crack the year-end list. Not that it's like bad or anything. It's just, it's not, there's not, not, not a whole lot to it ultimately. I don't think. Yeah. Just in a uh, little bit, I had looked into it. I was, I was interested obviously because of the performers. Um, but in hearing you talk about it, I do wonder because uh, I believe that this is supposed to take place over years that they cash in the pension. If there will be like some going back in the story, maybe like, right flashbacks things like that filling in um but yeah it's uh, gonna be interesting to see where they go with it it's only four episodes like you mentioned so they'll be wrapping up right around 
like the end of the year, which is not a time we usually get to review too many things. So I don't know if we'll be coming back to it, but if it if it's noteworthy, we will certainly make the space for it. Um, any other thoughts on this? Are you ready to move on to our guy, Peter Jackson, back in the saddle, baby? He, uh, I think he actually has been working on uh, creating documentaries and like uh, in color images from World War One. I, I believe was like his like uh projects before this at, at least remember yeah, uh, seeing a lot of those uh, who will not grow old was that last yes. documentary yes i i never saw it but i saw the trailer several times yeah. around that time but and, and the trailer looked cool you know it's like it did in color it's like oh wow look at that it looks so real you know yeah it uh, did man and then that's what peter jackson's been up to he's been in doc mode um and he's also hella rich now by the way he sold uh, the digital effects studio way to digital to unity for over a billion dollars. So Peter Jackson sitting pretty, but we talk about a, a labor of love to go from world war one doc, which requires heavy image restoration to a very similar, but even more daunting premise going through all this, the Beatles, let it be sessions, uh, audio and video footage to cull it into a, documentary series you know he's uh he's definitely uh motivated and dedicated to this right now it's pretty cool yeah i, I think it's definitely uh admirable that he's doing this and uh this i mean the beatles get back uh three episode documentary series ran like about like seven hours seven and a half hours something yeah, i think like it's that. closer to eight hours it was supposed to be just a film and then uh covid actually allowed him more time in edit and he realized that he could pitch this as a streaming thing only and thus really increase the runtime and change you know the narrative of the docking and i think it was a good good call ultimately normally you don't exactly advocate for super long things but given what is being shown and all this archival footage that was being used and then shown to the first time um i think it was definitely the right call but very interesting yeah, and even the the setup of it is interesting, right? So he they have all this footage of the Beatles uh, as they recorded their album "Let It Be." This was in January of 1969 that they're doing this, and uh, Michael Lindsay Hogg was the director, um, who's he's capturing all this for what was supposed to be a uh, "Let It Be" documentary. I actually never checked in to see if that yeah. so that that exists. did come out yeah yes but, and it wasn't it wasn't very well like i think it was much more negative mm-hmm. uh like a portrayal of the mood of the sessions and it's actually kind of hard to see it's not like available to rent or anything as of right now i haven't seen it yeah and it was something that i mean uh, as someone that had the uh, the let it be poster in his room growing up and really liked the beatles i just never even heard of until this came out so yeah, I think I, I I agree with you that this was probably buried or just not talked about beyond its initial release much. Um, but they have all this this footage. Jackson worked his way through it, and he really just kind of like shows you what these sessions were like and what the dynamics of the band were for this month period that they're recording uh, before Ringo has to go and star in. Uh, what was that movie? The Christian, uh, something like that, something like that. Some, yeah, some bad movie. Coming up in like uh, early seventy, yeah. But of course, you know, nineteen sixty nine, Beatles are on the verge of breaking up. Uh, 
you know, all, all the things you, you hear about, you know, uh, the Paul and John dynamics, Yoko Ono is very present in these sessions constantly by John's side. What, where does George Harrison fit into this, uh, this duo of songwriters when he himself has all these, uh, songs and ideas about music and, uh, you know, of course, <laughs> I think for a, a lot of people, Ringo gets this, uh, you know, kind of bad rap as like the fourth Beatle just kind of there, but that's really kind of how he is in this. And it's it's really just fascinating to have all this footage where you're just with the band talking about these real world things. And it's just really, really interesting. I mean, as someone that has seen only one of the Beatles movies that they made, the the, the feature films that they made, to really like sit with the band and like these people just being people being themselves goofy uh mean uh jaded it's it was just really uh a lot to chew on um and i found it just really enthralling but what was your experience watching i know you're not a, probably as big of a beatles fan as i am but it's hard to yeah. dislike this i think oh totally totally no i i i was immediately taken with it as well i think it starts off uh quite impressively with that opening montage you see the timeline however briefly it's a few minutes uh, of their career to that point right it was really only 10 11 years the whole run you know but it was obviously so eventful so impactful as everyone knows but i think what's so impressive about the beatles get back just as a proposition is that beatles scholarship beatles ephemera has been beaten to death. It's like doing something about World War II academically. Like, <laughs> it's been done. You know, you don't have a new take. People know all this shit, you know? But the 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 creation of Beatles Get Back as a documentary series and the revelations that are publicized by showing all this footage actually is something worthwhile and new to add to that Beatles scholarship, that Beatles canon. And if you're a hardcore fan, I'm not a hardcore Beatles fan. I like the Beatles a lot, but I'm not a huge fan. If you're a hardcore fan, this is like fucking crack to you, right? Yeah. You just get to watch John Lennon be John Lennon. To me, that mm-hmm. was almost like a, like a haunting thing in a sense, because he's like a fucking ghost to me. You know, to mm-hmm. see John Lennon just being himself, see 25-year-old George Harrison being himself, it's it, it's surreal shit, you know? And especially nowadays, right? Celebrities, artists... There's a big thing about having your own production company, recording yourself, documenting all your things, whether you're an athlete, you're creative, whatever it is, right? But back then, this is a lot, a lot less common. And yet the quality of the footage is so good. They had microphones hidden. like They, they did a great job of really capturing what was going on. And even if it's eight hours long, Sometimes, yeah, you're just kind of watching them jam out and find a melody or something, and it might not even go anywhere. But when you do get moments of brilliance, like John fucking creating the get back melody out of thin air, and like, or Paul creating the get back melody out of thin air in two minutes, John's not even there. Mm -hmm. Like, just pure magic to see something like that, which, from what I understand, wasn't even in the original documentary that came out right after this. Yeah, well, I I think. Michael Lindsay Hogg's presence throughout this he probably is the, the biggest loser in this because he just oh, comes God. across so annoying and just like you just want him to get out of every single shot he's in but yeah no I, I agree and he, 
it's definitely refreshing to see a documentary like this for music because you think about some of the ones we've gotten recently about more current stars. So something like Miss Americana from Taylor Swift, which is just like total Taylor Swift propaganda. Basically it's like, yeah. look at Taylor Swift and these are all the causes she fights for. And this is how she makes these songs. While there's some really cool stuff with of her in the studio, a lot of it just feels so heavy handed in terms of like, mm. this is why you should like her. This I think makes you run the gambit of emotions with pretty much every single person in the band. You know, Paul, probably is the one that I felt most vindicated watching this because I've always been more of a Paul person than a Lennon person. Um, But I I think he just comes across as like the person who's like, we need to make this work. Like, holy shit, we're the Beatles. We're important. We have to make this work. And everybody else is kind of like, I'd rather hang out with my girlfriend or (laughs) I don't want to be the third wheel in this. Like I want to go write songs about God and spirituality and like, my, my songs don't fit in with the sound that you all want. You're, you're being overbearing. And like, you really run the gambit of like liking these people, hating these people who have been so adored for so long. You know, like you said, everything that, that there is to be said about the Beatles feels like it had been said. And Peter Jackson still found revelatory stuff. And he kind of flipped the narrative about John and Paul on, on its head. Cause I, I thought they came across as quite endearing towards each other i don't think they were like necessarily warm all the time towards each other but you can just see that even at this late stage when paul is openly talking about like yeah john's gonna choose yoko every time like this is this is probably gonna be the end of it you know we're gonna break up at some point like it's openly discussed they still have this magic between them and this adoration for each other that was just so special and what made them two of the greatest songwriting people of all time just yeah it just have totally blown away by it, dude. It was amazing. Yeah, and I think that's what's so cool to see is over the course of time, you see why they were friends, why they were brilliant, and why they broke up, you know? It does a great job and an important job to put to rest the talk of, oh, Yoko Ono broke up the Beatles. She stole away John Lennon. It's like, no, that's, like, that's not what happened. Yes, she was there. She was there all the time. And I got to say, I give her a lot of credit just sitting there, no smartphone to dilly dally with just kind of sitting there chilling for a lot of the sessions you know but except when she gets on the mic and just screams like a banshee for one part that was just <laughs> unbelievable dude yeah but to be like it's because it's so natural it's so real because it is real why mm-hmm. why they they split split george feeling underutilized creatively and going on of course very soon after this to release the start of his solo career which was you know started off really hot you know um it's just a really impressive thing and but like again like even just simply like just just see the artists being artists being creative naturally with without like super like not like super edited like you see a lot of these long takes of them just kind of figuring things out talking about things it's just really cool to see them work. And yeah, I mean, I was just impressed. Just really impressed watching the whole thing. And normally I don't get up for like tons of music docs. There's been a lot of them this year, actually, funny enough. Yeah, the Todd Haynes Velvet Underground doc, Sparks Brothers from Edgar Wright, uh, the Summer of Soul, the Ringer, and HBO's Music Box series. It's been a lot of music docs lately. Usually, they don't really excite me unless it's a 
subject that I'm super, super into or something that has potential to be like the Beatles get back, which is just incredibly impressive and just feels, it feels like found money to me, something like this. Mm. Right. And I can't even fathom what it's like to be a Beatles super fan and to see all this stuff again for the first time. It's it's cool. It's crazy. Yeah. You know, just kind of also blown away just by, I guess just the, the odds that, while recording this they just had so much natural drama come up that really made it for a compelling story of just a few weeks that did encapsulate the story of the band so well it's just really uh really blows me away you know the, the fact that george actually walks out and leaves the sessions for a while um hearing them talk about people like billy preston talk about people like who, who actually shows up for a bit eric clapton and what mm-hmm. he meant to music at that time ray charles um, the stones yeah. a little bit so so fascinating to see all these these things brought together um also just love the look on paul's face during the the rooftop sessions when the cops show up just like that like smirk he gets and he's so excited uh just it's just cool stuff we're real human stuff that you see from these people that seem uh you know otherworldly in so many senses so if you're a fan of music fan of the beatles i mean even if you don't want to spend the whole eight hours i think you can kind of watch the first like to probably the first episode maybe you can start the second and really get a sense of yeah. doc so um definitely worth checking out um let's move on though dave to again something that i did not make it to but you did come on come on yeah come on come on it's the new mike mills film his first film since 20th century women from 2016 however we did discuss his wife's film, Kajillionaire, last year, he is, in fact, married to filmmaker Miranda July. But Come On, Come On, I think, is notable for a few reasons. Namely, it's Joaquin Phoenix's first acting role since winning Best Actor for Joker. So, And, of course, Joaquin Phoenix needs no introduction. Uh, you watch him when he does things. He's that good. And he's really great in this film. And it's funny. Come On, Come On's just the latest in black and white drama films to come out the end of 2021. We've had a, so many at this point with Passing and Belfast and the forthcoming tragedy of Macbeth. Black and white is back. And uh, <laughs> come on, come on. You know, it. it's just a really personal, kind of simple movie about Joaquin Phoenix's character, Johnny, taking care of his nine-year-old nephew, while his sister goes to tend to her husband who is um, dealing with some uh, bipolar issues and can't, can't be there with the family. And Johnny, who has never had a kid, learning a lot about what it's like to raise a kid or take care of a kid in the interim while he's watching uh, this young boy who's played by Woody Norman, uh, the, young, the young kid. His uh, sister's played by Gabby Hoffman, who is really great most of gabby hoffman's scenes are on the phone uh with johnny with joaquin but it, it i think the best stuff about it is that the kid woody norman comes across as like really genuine as a kid who with his spongy undeveloped brain is trying to process what is going on with his parents why his mom's not taking care of him, why his dad is going away, stuff like that. Trying to process all these things that he just doesn't understand, obviously, right? And then you contrast that with Johnny, 
who has some of his own things going on in the background you learn about over time. And Johnny trying to figure out how to communicate with someone who's clearly not an adult, right? And meanwhile, the film, we kind of travel L.A., New York City, and New Orleans. The New York shots, really transformative, looks really great. Spent a lot of time in Chinatown down there. I think thematically, message-wise, I think the movie kind of kind of meanders a little bit. But it's really just a movie about people talking. You know, there's no grand conflict. There's no inciting incident, per se. So you probably have to really connect with those performances, with those conversations, I think, to get a lot out of the film. Um, along On the side, you have Johnny doing his job which is kind of being like a public radio figure. He interviews, goes in person to interview uh, children and ask, you know, like like 10, 12-year-old, 13-year-olds, ask them questions about the world. And like the kids talk about their fears of climate change and overpopulation and uh, all kinds of things, really. And I'm not even sure if those scenes were scripted or not, but they're like really, I think, effective, uh, like interstitial scenes. On a part of Joaquin, but hearing these like these like young kids is like talk about things, right? Uh, but yeah, I think the movie's uh, I don't, I don't even want to say it's high minded. It's like it's simple, but it's kind of meandering. So I think you have to really connect with uh, the characters, connect with the the loose themes because the themes are not super defined. And you know, the kid being a nine year old character, I, I think he's eleven, the actor, but like the nine year old kid. Uh, you know, he's a nine-year-old kid, so he might be annoyed at times, but comes across as genuine. So I, I like the movie. I didn't love it, but I, I would definitely say check it out. You know, uh, Mike Mills for 20th Century Woman, he got nominated for Best Original Screenplay. He seems to be a really cool indie filmmaker who his ambition is really just to be successful enough to make the next indie film. Yeah, And I, I kind of respect that that kind of ambition. So, you know, Joaquin you Phoenix for- alone worth the price of admission. I was going to say, were you impressed with Joaquin? Did did you feel like he really like got into this role? Yeah. And like obviously, coming off Joker, it's not as showy as Joker, right? Sure. Uh, but yeah, jo- Joaquin definitely gets into it. I, 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 I like it a lot from him. He, he, was, he was tremendous in it. And he's the best you, part, I think. Do you get like a father-son dynamic between them or? <sighs> yeah, it's, it, it's, it's funny, right? Because at one point... Um, the kid asks him why he doesn't have any kids and stuff like that, right? And you can sense the the, the paternal instincts coming up at times, but if anything, it's more about like first-time parent and all the fears and anxieties that accompany that. And I've seen that sentiment shared by parents watching the film and you know seeing a lot of familiar uh, conflicts and uh, issues coming up with having the kid, right? So. Yeah, it's uh again because like I, I don't I don't know if like the journey is super like well defined when you watch the movie. It kind of bobs and weaves through our story, but yeah, I would say check it out. It's an A twenty four film. I, I definitely want to check it out. I've heard good things, so uh, it's on my list. Uh, the ever growing list of things I have to get to before our end of year movie <laughs> list. But one movie I did make it to was. The power of the dog. Power How of the dog. powerful. 
You know, the the lead up to this movie, the, the Jane Campion film dropping on Netflix, was Benedict Cumberbatch giving this performance that probably going to be nominated for uh, Best Actor. Mm-hmm. I think almost certainly lock it in. <laughs> uh, yeah. See, it, it 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 was basically like let's go see this performance was kind of how I was going into this movie. And I was more so blown away just by how the movie overall was just like so finely crafted. Like it, it was the type of movie that like I, I, it ended and I just was like, oh, you know, like they, the movie was not what you think it's about the whole time. You think it's, oh, it's about this thing. Oh, it's going to be about this. It's a brother versus brother tale. It's a tale about loneliness and, you know, the the West. It's about uh, a guy who's behind his time and can't fit in with society. Oh, it's now it's about him versus the the wife. Now it's you know there, there's all these always a story about you know sexuality and coming to terms with your sexuality and you know passing that on. And in the end, dude, it's just this fucking revenge, sexual revenge story. And bro, I was just like totally blown away by it. What did you think of Power of the Dog? Yeah, I was very impressed. Liked it a lot. For that same that very reason you don't know what's happening next in this film everything's so intentional that there's all these dead ends that you think about as you're watching the movie for the first time and you're not really sure where it's going and that's it's just really impressive and cumberbatch is so strong in the lead in great part i think because he's not their traditional like archetype for a western man you know like if we had chris hemsworth in this role it wouldn't be the same and obviously cumberbatch is a world-class actor but i i I think like his his body type his traditional roles that we think about directly serve this kind of performance it's really impressive and i think all the credit really no needs to go to Jane Campion just for crafting uh, this intricate and intentional tale, obviously adapted off a, a book from what the sixties, I think it is this Tom seven savage book. Yeah. But, and I haven't read the book, but begs are <laughs> begs, begs the question uh, why Jane Campion hasn't released a movie in uh, since 2009, you know? Because clearly, she's as good as ever. You know, she's she's been widely widely uh, celebrated for a long time. Obviously, the second uh, woman to be nominated for best director, first to win the Palme d'Or, Khan won best original screenplay back then too for the Piano back in '93. Celebrated filmmaker, but since 2009, she made Top of the Lake and Top of Lake China Girl, the Elizabeth Moss series. That's all she did. Like, what the fuck? You know, again, why is Catherine Bigelow not really doing anything? It's the same problem with female directors in Hollywood, unfortunately. Yeah. You know, going back to Power of the Dog, there's there's this tension that just runs throughout the whole movie. And the tension is ever shifting, depending on what what two characters are in the frame, you know, because Benedict Cumberbatch is uh, he's Phil, I believe. Right. Yes. He's Phil um, and his brother, George, played by Jesse Plemons. They obviously are, you know, 
two people who have grown apart and uh, Benedict Cumberbatch wants to, you know, still have that relationship that he once had with his brother. Whereas George is just kind of like, I don't really want anything to do with this person. He's rough mm-hmm. and hostile and just unpleasant to be around. Finds Kirsten Dunst. Uh, they develop this relationship. Um, you know, obviously Peter uh, played by Cody Smith McPhee, mm-hmm. um, kind of the, the, I don't know, the, the the person on the side who you're kind of like what what's going on with this character like what what's the role going to be for this character in the movie at first kind of feels like the whipping boy and then kind of feels like maybe a, a a person who can enlighten or help phil come to terms with himself and you're always kind of like shifting like what is this person's role because i think the the triangle between uh phil rose and george is pretty evident and then yeah. as the movie goes on it starts to shift more and more and it gets to that final the final 30 minutes are just totally riveting from i'd say probably the moment that um peter and phil ride off together until the movie ends you're just like what is this movie what's going to happen here what's this going to come to and the way that the tension evolves from brotherly tension to tension between phil and the wife to tension between phil and his parents to is there sexual tension here? Uh, you know, the the close-ups on the rope and him working on the rope and the way he like moves his hands up and down. There's all these aspects that you're just like, what is this? And then once you can see the ending, I'm sure if, we, if I watched it back, it would probably make a lot more sense and I would pick mm-hmm. up on more things, but it's just so expertly crafted and not heavy-handed in any way. And it's beautiful. Dude, I mean, it's like in the Montana Hills and just looks yeah. completely... It, it it reminded me a lot of Chloe Zhao's uh, movie last year, you know, just in terms yeah. of the like natural aspect of it. Just uh, really, just a masterpiece. I thought so. New, it's up New there Zealand, for me. New, yeah, definitely New Zealand, an effective stand-in for Montana. Looked, Who knew? Uh, <laughs> look, looked looked incredible. Uh, yes, the vistas definitely bring you back to Nomadland, which did win Best Picture, so we might be in for a visual back to back at the Oscars to be determined there. Yeah, man. Uh, there's just there's just so much like so much good shit there, right? Like, I, I think Cody Smith McPhee is really impressive. Uh, like his mannerisms, his his looks, his stature, all serve a purpose in the film. He's getting a lot of talk for supporting actor, uh, Buzz, and nice to see, right? Because Obviously, I think everyone knew about him from X-Men where he played Nightcrawler and was also one of the Planet of the Apes films, but hasn't done too much since then. And then kind of out of out of nowhere, see him in a movie like this, I'm like, oh shit, yeah, this guy's the real deal. And, you know, I think probably because like uh, Jane Campion, he's from uh, Down Under, makes sense that perhaps he was on this production, but either way, uh, I loved a lot of that red herring with the gloves and the uh, the castration scene, which is super visceral, but like setting you up brutal. with Phil and his relationship with wearing gloves, you know, mm-hmm. uh, in general, the Phil, the Phil performance, like the menace, the, 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 the self-loathing that we learn about later on. It's all, I think, really controlled, right? He's not Daniel Plainview. 
and there will be blood. The blundering and this force of nature destroying everything in his path. He's not that. He's in the same ballpark, perhaps, but it's not that kind of film. And I mean, once you get the revelations about uh, Bronco Henry, but also then alongside that Cody Smith-McPhee understanding those revelations as well. I mean, I think that that scene in the barn is incredible, honestly. No, uh, totally. And the way that he then uses that knowledge to get close to Phil and like find an opening to bring around the way that the movie starts talking about what kind of man would I be if I didn't, uh, you know, protect my mother or stand up right. for my mother, whatever that yeah. is. Um, just so well done. You know, I thought Cumberbatch was obviously phenomenal in this movie. Um, and I think he plays like the character of Phil, who is obviously a very gruff, hostile, just really unpleasant person to be around. But he, he does it in such a way, especially those scenes where he's trying to reconnect with George or have those moments where like you just really feel for him at times, too. You're like, wow, this is a very lonely person who yeah. really just filled with pain and hate. And it's uh, it, it, like you said, I think it's hard to uh, it's hard to like totally dislike Phil, even though he is such a jackass for most of the movie, because you understand that he's a very lonely, sad person who's projects that pain onto others and to have a character like that and build that understanding i thought was incredibly well done if anything i think the the th- most thankless role in this thing is jesse plemons who is an amazing actor but kind of has played very one note just george is very like down the middle he gets some nice moments between him and kirsten dunce his, who's his actual wife and i think their their on screen right. chemistry is pretty evident but like where he gets uh gets upset and they says like it's just nice to not be alone for once and you kind of understand his longing and his sadness and right so those moments are great yeah and something like that's paid off with just in the background things where you realize they were living in the same bedroom Mm -hmm. before dunce was in the picture right and yet both of them are still lonely i love the juxtaposition between the ranch and the house the ranch house a lot of a lot of wealth and opulence and high society culture going on in that house. You learn that, oh yeah, Phil went to Yale. He's just a man of the woods in a sense. Huh. Funny how that worked out. Like there's just I think so many like great red herrings, but it's great touches the way they color things in. And yeah, it's just it's just really impressive. The story, the script, everything's right. Again, I really loved uh, the way they set up Bronco Henry and how you learn more about that uh, towards the end. You know, obviously, they, they kind of make sure you understand what's going on when Cody Smith McPhee finds the uh, secret uh, sanctuary by the, by the stream later on, in case you weren't picking it up. But yeah, man, I, 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 was re- I really liked it. And I just, the unpredictability, not knowing what to expect going in and then watching the film and still not knowing where it's going. I think it's overall like just an incredible quality. Absolutely. Um, you know, we haven't even really talked that much about Kirsten Dunst, who I think has been definitely having a bit of a career revitalization. Yes. Um, you know, probably since Fargo really. Uh, Correct. 
and uh you know i'm trying to think of a a role from her where you got to see this much range um this might be the best role she's ever been in you know you think about like the scenes of her uh breaking down to peter and like especially that that scene where she's totally drunk and crying and kind of going all over the place with him it's very meaty or when she like finds out about the hides not being sold because phil doesn't want the native americans to have them and um her, how she goes about that scene i just think this is a great look for her and could you see her potentially getting a nom as a supporting I actress could. yeah i could for sure um her and probably uh Anjana ellis from king richard are the two that most stand out to me in the early going and i probably um Katriana Balf from Belfast. Yeah. Um, and that's nice. Again, I, I think I agree about Dunst and this being one of her best roles. I mean, apart from like, I don't know, like Marie Antoinette or something, which was so long ago, you know, and, and nice to see the revitalization and, and also just meta sense. Cool to see her acting next to Clemens, as you said, her real life partner. Um, yeah, I, uh, I agree about Clemens as well, but also I just don't mind him just kind of being there you know because he is such a high floor as a performer and i feel like so naturally was a great foil and opposite to phil you know throughout the early parts yeah. of the film that it, it, uh, i think all the casting really worked and also you get to see adam beach for uh, two seconds as that's the native american as he's often uh, cast to be i love him yeah and we ha- you just have thomas and Mackenzie, who we yeah. talked about just a few weeks ago, is in Last Night in Soho, uh, just being a you know, a maid, a helping hand on the ranch, yeah, not really there. doing much, just there. Play, so playing badminton, or yeah. was it a tennis or whatever they're doing? <laughs> I think they're playing tennis. For shit. Yeah, I love when she's like, "That was clearly out." It's <laughs> like a great line. Um, now the movie's great. Uh, we're gonna be talking about it a lot probably in the coming weeks and with award nominations and everything, check it out on Netflix. I heard an interesting discussion about if this could, if this was a best picture winner, how that would be received. And, you know, especially I think the conversation was framed around um, best picture being this award that if it went to a bigger movie could spark more interest into the awards you know if something like west side story were to win or dune yes people would probably be more likely to say ah academy awards they got it right something like this feels just so much more likely (laughs) to me to win you know it's Mm -hmm. like a more artsy film obviously a lot of director where would you put his chances right now given what you've seen obviously you've seen more than i have so yeah it's a good question uh, for what it's worth, Netflix did share, and some of the third-party sites did share that Power of the Dog was being watched uh, pretty frequently, right? It's not like Mank, where Mank came out last year and didn't really get watched at the scale you'd expect for a Best Picture nominee anyway. Seeing that people are watching Power of the Dog at least a good amount, which is nice to see. Uh, but yeah, it, it's probably going to come down to whether something more crowd-pleasing ends up coming to the fore, right? We've talked about King Richard and Belfast perhaps being those films. Didn't exactly set the world on fire at the box office, 
no adult drama really is doing that apart from House of Gucci. West Side Story is about to come out. Reviews are strong. Perhaps this is a runaway hit into Christmas. There might be a lot of enthusiasm for that. But I think it's right there at the top. You know, I think Camp- Campion's kind of clearly the uh, director, uh, front runner here. Yeah. And, you know, being, she'd be the first one, first female director to be nominated twice. Crazy that that's even a thing still. That, that, that is the truth. Um, so I, I think the screenplay deserves a lot of look. Production design, obviously directing. Cumberbatch versus Will Smith is going to be a showdown until the end, probably. Uh, and Smith, McPhee, and Dunst could get in there, too. But best picture, yeah, I don't think we quite know yet, you know? Because coming into the season, it's like, oh, Belfast, that's the one. King Richard will be there, too. And, we, you know, we got to see it, right? But yeah, it, it's it's a contender. It's from I mean, this. This is the big Netflix one, right? Netflix is definitely pushing power of the dog first and foremost. You know, passing is not ahead of it in the pecking order, right? So they'll campaign the shit out of this. Yeah, absolutely. Um, yeah, at least from what I've seen so far, it seems like it has a good shot. I think Licorice Pizza um, yep. feels like it could also be in the contention. And if West Side Story is as good as people are saying it is, um, that feels very Oscar beady. So. A lot of lot of factors, so we'll be talking about it all. Uh, real quick on Cody Smith McPhee, he's going to be in the new Elvis movie next year. That's, That's supposed right. to be coming out next year. Yeah, uh, Jimmy Rogers. So uh, he's he's going to be in some good stuff. I'm happy for him. But uh, we're going to probably wrap up there for this week, Dave. What what do we got for next week? There's a few things. Mainly, as we said, West Side Story coming out wide release. Steven Spielberg's reimagining Rihanna adaptation of the classic and the reviews oh, yeah. are really strong that's awesome uh succession season three will be wrapping on hbo obviously really excited to talk about that it's been an amazing season thus far can't wait for the finale and then there's a few other things juice world posthumous album interesting the second one fortune perhaps does not uh, bode well for that but we'll listen nonetheless uh Aaron Sorkin's new movie, Being the Ricardos, is coming out in some theaters. You might see that. I don't know. We got some stuff. And we'll be talking about our best music of uh, 2021 this week. So look out for that, too. SoundCloud.com slash NostalgiaPod. YouTube.com slash NostalgiaPod. At NostalgiaPod on Twitter. And lastly, best Nostalgia Best of 2021 on Spotify. We'll catch you next week. Yeah.